you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. If you have your Bibles or your device and would like to turn with me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 5, and 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 2, verse number 5, for there is one God. I don't think we have to go a whole lot further if we're wondering how many gods there are. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, this verse doesn't mean that you don't need a pastor because God's going to speak directly to you in everything in your life. It, this, this verse doesn't mean that you don't need an elder and that you don't need to seek wisdom because the Bible is full of direction for how we should live. As a matter of fact, this is not a directional verse this scripture is dealing with the divinity of Christ continuing on to 1st John chapter 2 and verse number 1 we have an advocate everybody say an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins. We have an advocate with the Father. That advocate is Jesus Christ the righteous. He is. He is. He is the propitiation for our sins. Jesus became our propitiation. And that word, in other words, Jesus became our offering. Jesus became our offering. For lack of a better title today, um, I don't know, this may be more of a, growing up I used to hear some of our elders say that they were going to, they were going to shoot a scatter gun. It was just going to kind of point out amongst the folks and just let it, let it go today. But for, that may be more what you feel this is by the time we're done today. But for lack of a better title, and I don't know that I need a much better title, maybe every sermon we preach could be titled along this line. But I'm just going to call this message today, Jesus 
is dot, dot, dot. In other words, you fill in the blank because there's more behind the Jesus is. You can decide Jesus is. No wonder he said, I am. Who do I tell them that sent me? You just tell them that I am has sent you. Jesus is. Lord, let your word impact the hearts of your people today as we impart what you have put into our hearts today. Lord, I'm praying that faith be increased, that guidance and direction be made clear. God, that you speak to every heart and every life in this room this morning, and we give you honor and praise in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for your worship today. What a great team we had on this platform leading us this morning. Appreciate the music team coming early. Thank God there was no fire this Sunday. Amen. In passing, one may ask, what is meant by mediator? Or what does it mean when the scripture says we have an advocate? These two passages are perhaps two of the most misinterpreted and mistranslated verses in Scripture. Taken out of context, translated wrongly, one could easily become confused in the fact of the oneness of God. I believe that's why the apostle begins by declaring there is but one God. He says, before I say what I'm about to say, I don't want to be confusing in the next few lines of what I'm about to say because I'm going to talk about some other things that God is. But I want to begin by talking to you about the fact there is but one God, even one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is beginning to draw parallels between this one eternal God and the man Christ Jesus. And he speaks of him as an advocate. He speaks to, of him as a mediator and he speaks of him as a propitiation for our sins. Trinitarian scholars and writers have suggested that these words mean something very different than they are originally intended to mean. The word advocate simply means one standing for us, one pleading our cause, and the wrong image can be given here and one begins to very quickly see because the scripture speaks of Jesus ever living and making intercession for us. And indeed we agree, but the mental image that has been 
given and awfully wrongly taught or preached is that you have God Jr. in the form of Jesus. Anybody with me this morning? Uh, standing before God the Father Sr. And he is forever begging on our behalf that his judgment would not be cast upon us. But that's wrongly interpreted and it's the wrong image that has been given. And before I'm done today, I hope that I can put this passage in perspective and clear up any wrong theology or misinformation or misguided images that some may have put in their mind regarding this particular passage. The scripture says there is one mediator. That word mediator means a negotiator. It is somebody who is going in between. There have been times that my wife has had to be the mediator between me and my boys. She is the negotiator. Now there is destiny. When I say no, destiny says but dad and she gets whatever she wants. A mediator is the go-between. It is the one that goes and stands in the midst and speaks for. And then the scripture uses the term propitiation. He is the propitiation. And stay with me for a few moments. I, I, won't, I won't stay in this mode for too long. But if you don't get this, you won't understand what I'm going to say at the conclusion. So the word propitiation is laid out and it simply means the turning away of wrath by an offering. The turning away of wrath by an offering. Now, it is not a bribe, for one might see it so as it is bribery, but it is not indeed bribery. It is that there has been someone that stepped in and paid the fine. They paid the ticket for you. You... You were doing something and someone stepped in and they, they gave the offering. I, my, my boys have always been givers and, and, and I'm glad for that. I'm, I'm thankful that they're not stingy. And uh, they've always been givers and we used to go to camp. And um, I, I've remained silent until this morning about that, but I couldn't tell you the number of times that um, my boys have... Uh, they come around receiving a special offering and my boys very quickly give a hundred dollars and they go down and the other one gives a hundred and the other one donates and gives a hundred and uh, then dad gets the letter from the district stating uh, Spencer, Dylan and Gentry owe a hundred dollar offering each because they made a commitment and I knew that they uh, were a bit young at the time like seven or eight or nine and so dad would go to mom and say, uh, could I borrow $300? And uh, mom would say, uh, yes. And I'll say, and I'm going to go and have a conversation with the boys. And she would say, let me mediate. Anybody with me this morning? And so Jesus, we have a mediator, and he is, we have an advocate, we have a mediator, and he is the propitiation, or he is 
offering. I want you to understand this this morning now as I begin to try to pull this together. Jesus did not give an offering for you and I. But Jesus was and is the offering for you and I. Jesus, the advocate, was not one time an advocate, but the fact that Jesus stood between the judgment of God and the guilt of humanity and advocated or mediated for our sins. He became our advocate. He became our mediator. It's not something that he did one time, long time ago, but Jesus remains. Jesus still is our advocate. And Jesus still is our mediator because the redemptive work that he did on Calvary does not require a God junior to stand before a fictitious image of a God the Father and beg on our behalf. But what Paul is speaking of here is that there is an advocate and there is a mediator and the redemptive work that he did on Calvary did not end at sunset and did not end at the burial and did not end at the resurrection and did not end at the day of Pentecost when the Spirit is poured out. But he declares and speaks in, an, in prophetic anticipation that thing that was then that was going to be into the future. So he said we have an advocate. And Jesus is that advocate. Meaning what he did then, he is still doing now. Meaning the mediation of Calvary still works today. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. So he is the advocate and Jesus is the, the mediator and Jesus is the, the propitiation. You're never going to get good enough for God. You're never going to give enough money to merit favor, to merit salvation. But Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. And the scripture declares that he ever liveth making intercession for us. Can I tell you today, Jesus is our interceder. He is our intercession. He is not standing before an aging father declaring and praying for us, but the redemptive work on Calvary is still working on our behalf today. So he is interceding because the work of Calvary it's still in effect today. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in the house today. The polluted doctrine often taught here 
is missing the point that Jesus didn't take an offering to the Father on our behalf, but he was the offering. And the apostle is declaring there is but one God. I don't want you to get confused with this, but he still is the offering. What he is declaring was that he didn't do that because flesh died, but the redemptive work of Calvary didn't die. He didn't pay for our sin and it ended there. But Corinthians chapter 6 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus became our sin. I want you to get this this morning because it wasn't that he went and paid a price for our sin, but Jesus became to became our sin. One writer put it in this perspective. See, there's a whole thread through Scripture when you begin to see it and rightly divide it and see it unfold and see the parallels through the Scripture. He took the handwriting of ordinances that were against us and he took them out of the way, nailing them to the cross. In other words, the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, the thing that the enemy would use against us, Jesus became our sin. In the garden of Gethsemane when he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And he took the cup of gall and he drank the cup of gall representing the sin, every sin from Adam to Moses and from Moses to the setting up of his kingdom. Jesus Christ took upon himself the sin of the world. So he who knew no sin became sin for you and I. So Jesus, the sinless one, became sin because he had never experienced sin but he took your sin and my sin and became Jesus said at that moment Jesus said I I became or Jesus can I put it in perspective if you lived in that day and looked at him going to the cross you would say Jesus is my sin or he became my sin he took the sin of the world took them upon himself and took them to the cross the handwriting of ordinances that were against us everything that the devil could use against you Jesus took to the cross of Calvary and they were nailed the writer said to the cross so every time the enemy begins to bring up your past or talk about your failure or talk about your shortcoming or begins to deal in your mind and tell you you're not worth saving you're not worth loving you're not worth we have an advocate with the father it goes back to the cross of Calvary and there is one standing in like a lawyer not in, in the throne room of heaven standing begging and pleading your cause but the cross of Calvary steps in the way and begins to advocate for your sin and say no you weren't good enough but he became good enough for you he took your failure and he took it upon himself and took it to the cross he, he is mediating for your sin so when the devil comes and begins to speak lies into your hearing and begins to tell you you can't and you want and you're not and you won't ever be we have a mediator the cross of Calvary the redemptive work of heaven Jesus begins to negotiate for us no not standing before an aging elder but a 
cross of Calvary steps up saying, I mediate for him. He's never going to be good enough in the flesh, but by the blood and by the cross. Somebody gets in their mind, I'm going to give enough. I'm going to labor enough. I'm going to toil enough. I'm going to sacrifice enough. I'm going to fast enough that I am worthy. I want you to understand. You fast. Your fasting is it's good for you. You need to fast. The Bible teaches us we ought to fast. We ought to pray. And the Bible teaches us we ought to pray. But can I tell you that in all of your giving, in all of your praying, in all of your fasting in all of your labor and volunteering and working, you're never going to do enough to merit and finally reach the point where you say, I think finally I have earned my salvation. You're never going to be able to do that. But I'm going to tell you what the cross will do. The cross will be the propitiation. When you run to the foot of the cross, the cross becomes your offering. Jesus nailed to the cross becomes our Offering somebody said, "Well, I'm not talented. I, I don't have a lot of money to give. I can't. I don't. I can't do what others can do." Listen, at the foot of the cross, everybody is equal. It doesn't matter your talents or your abilities. Jesus became our offering at the cross of Calvary for the young or the old, from the rich or the poor, from those with talent or those without talent. Jesus became our offering. But translator bias is clouded. The right meaning of this text and confused the minds of people. A glaring example of this is found in the New International Version of Scripture. And I refer to that version at times, but we have to be careful and use in, in proper use because some scriptures can become confusing. The scripture says where well, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense and I could in, in proper perspective could agree with, with the way that the New International Version uses this text but it creates through English creates a false impression that we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense yet given the image of Jesus standing before the th in the throne room and it creates a, 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 a duality of some sort in the Godhead and, and, and the Apostle Paul starts our text and, and he says there is but one God don't confuse this if you can confuse this, then you're going to misunderstand all of the things that I'm about to tell you regarding, uh, regarding the Godhead and regarding redemption and regarding what God wants to do in your life. Similar interpretive renderings are given in the Good News Bible and it says we have someone who pleads with the Father on our behalf, again giving the image of one standing in a courtroom and begging another to uh, allow us to, to narrowly escape. Then the, the, the Bible 
There is no biblical justification in Scripture or original translations for such, for such misuse of the text. Clearly what the NIV and other translators had in mind was a court scene with us as the accused. Such wrong translations suppose that there is an angry accuser. So they're putting God who is love. Everybody say God who is love. God is love. You cannot sub So they're putting God who is love in the form of an accuser uh, of a judgmental God. That is, and, and, and the truth is, I, I want to be very clear with you today. I grew up uh, hearing preachers preach and they would hang us over hell. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I've, I've, I've ran to the altar scared to death that Jesus was going to come that night and I was going to be lost and, and I'd run to the altar and sometimes we may need that kind of preaching some saved by fear pulling them out of the fire so I'm not preaching against that but if we don't balance that that preaching of the judgment of God with the love and grace and mercy of God then we will become confused and begin to see God as a God of judgment and wrath looking for an opportunity and there has to be Jesus standing there begging him not to point the scepter at you and cause you to become sick and afflicted and injured and killed because of your sin. But the scripture teaches us that he is withholding judgment till that day. And so therefore, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. I do believe there are times that God may give us a little touch of judgment to catch our attention or to, to turn us around. But 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 this, this false image that is given in by, by some by misinterpreting this passage presents God as being judgmental and desiring to pour out upon us when the scripture said if we being uh, being human and we being weak know how to give good gifts to our children how much more does our heavenly father know how to give good gifts to those who love him and so therefore as we look at this we begin to see that there is clearly no biblical justification for translations that puts God at the seat of judgment because today he does not sit at the seat of judgment there will be a day when he will sit at the seat of judgment so don't get this message wrong. There must be a balance between the two. But today he is not sitting at the seat of judgment with, with the image of, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, standing before him, begging him to not impose his judgment upon us. That's not at all. That is, that's, that's, wrongly, that's wrongly translated from what the writer was saying in our text. I know I'm driving this home hard this morning, but I want you to get this and I want you to take this with you from here. I want this to be a message that sinks in and that next week and next month and next year you still refer back to this message that Jesus is. And every time you hear somebody say Jesus is, I want you to remember that he is so you can be. But you never will be if Jesus wasn't. But because he is, I can be clearly <coughs> clearly what the NIV and other translators had in mind was a court scene with us as the accused God the, the angry accuser with Christ the defender appealing to the father on our behalf 
such wrong translations could quickly give us this false image of a God of wrath and a God of judgment. The Greek word, I believe that they felt conveyed in this scene is the word parakletos, which is rendered advocate in the King James Version. It's translated one who speaks in our defense in the NIV, while parakletos doesn't carry the sense of legal advocate. It never is conveyed so in Scripture. The exact word is only used elsewhere by the Apostle John in John chapter 14, verse number 16 and verse number 26. In John chapter 15, verse number 26. And in John 16, verse number 7, where it is rendered as the comforter and the counselor. Anybody see where we're going with this now? So he is more than just the advocate and more than just the mediator. And he is, he is also the comforter and he is also the counselor. Aren't you glad to know that? So there are many attributes. This is speaking of the attributes of God and what great work that he has done in our life and who he is and how he is working. The exact word used here as counselor, each of these references are referring, of course, to the Holy Spirit from which we greatly benefit in their recorded words. The associated word used here, um, there is paracle par paracleo and paraclesis and paracletos. These are little different forms of the same word at the root of them, which is Paraclete. It is using an, an image of uh, the, the closest image that I could give you uh, would be uh, to put in military terms that it is one who comes and jumps in the middle of a situation to help when there was no other recourse for help. It would be like uh, a, a firefight going on and our soldiers being pinned down and they are outnumbered and they don't know what to do but somebody gets to the radio and they call in and they say would somebody please come in on our behalf and through the airways goes the message forth to where that someone in the Navy or the Air Force would receive the message that this specific troop is pinned down and they're in a firefight and they are outnumbered and they need help and all of a sudden out of nowhere high in the sky above the fire line is it comes some planes and out of the planes drops the parachuters are you with me now they come and come out of nowhere the word the word now begins to unfold as you see the paratroopers begin to drop in out of nowhere and now the enemy who was coming in that had the 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 the, the, the troops 
pinned down now are in a precarious situation because the paratroopers don't fall in front of them but they fall behind them now creating a scenario where that the enemy that had come in and pinned down the American troops now are in the precarious situation because the paratroopers now have landed behind them. Now they have a fight that they are in trouble with because now they're trying to fight to move forward but they have the paratroopers. They come in as the paraclete. They come in as the one who came out of nowhere and appeared because there was a need and they dropped in and they began to fight from behind the enemy lines. And now the enemy who was doing damage is now surrounded because there was a paratrooper that came and dropped in behind the scene. And now the enemy is surrounded can I bring it to you we who were in this world lost and without hope lost without God in this world having no hope we were in this world but we had no hope in this world we were pinned down by the wages of sin and the enemy was imposing upon us but out of nowhere came the paraclete he came out of nowhere he who was before the beginning of time who was made in the image of God and in the image of man came out of nowhere and he made it to a cross of Calvary and he came on the scene and now the enemy has trouble because we who had no hope now are drawn nigh by the blood of Calvary we could have never won the war we could have never won the battle but the paraclete came in Jesus the counselor Jesus the wonderful Jesus the mighty God Jesus the everlasting father Jesus the prince of peace Jesus the advocate Jesus the high priest he came out of nowhere he dropped in on the scene and he started fighting for us now we have a mediator we have an advocate and he's fighting for us oh somebody ought to give God a shout of praise in the house If we say, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if we confess, everybody say admit, come on, become honest about, if we confess, if we admit and get honest about our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar 
and his word is not in us. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 26. It, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of truth, there remaineth therefore no sacrifice for sin. This is why we need a savior. This is why we need a paraclete. Because we, this is why we need an advocate. Because you cannot do it on your own. So if you haven't yet stepped up and said, I need the cross of Calvary, I need the blood of Jesus, I need this working in my life. If you have never done that, you are the trooper that has been, you're the troop that's been, that's pinned down with, with the impending pressure and weight of sin that is coming against you. And you owe a debt you will never be able to pay. You are fighting a battle you will never be able to win. But when you reach the point of a Admitting, I can't do this on my own. And you throw up your hand and you send some prayer signals up into heaven and begin to declare to him, Lord, I'm lost and undone. Lord, I'm, I, I'm not going to make it out of this. Lord, I need you. I'm, I'm sinking deep in sin. And I need you, Lord, to come on the scene. I'm going to tell you what, he, what, what this scripture is declaring. Declaring, there is but one God and he will become. Jesus is whatever you need. So when you begin to pray that repentant prayer of Lord, I'm pinned down and the enemy is pressing upon me. The, the weight of the world is on my shoulder. Sin has left its crimson stain. I'm, I'm miserable, wretched and undone. Lost without you. When you begin to pray that kind of prayer, we have an advocate we have a paraclete we have a God we have one that comes on the scene he doesn't have to go back to, to Calvary all over again but at the moment that you begin to pray such a prayer Calvary once again comes in effect and comes on the scene and lands in behind and he begins to fight for you he begins to speak for you he begins to do that's why we sing songs like Satan the blood of Jesus is against you you know why? We don't have any power, but, but he's our paraclete. The blood's still fighting for me. The blood's still working for me. Jesus still is on my side. Jesus still is making a way out of no way. Jesus still is. He, he is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? That's why we sing, tell me who can stand before us when we call on his great name because when you speak the name of Jesus you're calling the advocate when you speak the name of Jesus you're calling on the counselor when you speak the name of Jesus you're calling on your advocate to come on the scene oh let's stand and give God a shout of praise in the house he comes on the scene to rescue you he comes on the scene to give you hope in the midst of a hopeless situation. Doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter what you deal with, doesn't matter if you've been raised in the church or if you're new to the church or if you haven't been around too long. I'm, I just wanted you to understand this morning that God is still fighting for you. He's still on your side. He's still making a way out of no way. Do I have a witness in this house? 
that when you go as far as you can and you don't know what to do, when you call on the name of Jesus out of nowhere, he comes on the scene and begins to fight for you, begins to make a way for you, begins to answer. I'm glad the cross of Calvary is in effect this morning. Here's your answer today. How, how do I step up and how do I, how do I activate this advocate, this mediator? How do, I, how do I activate him in my life? Here's what you do. First of all, the Bible says you have to repent. Repentance is more than just weeping over sin. It's not just saying, well, I got caught. But repentance is a decision and a change of the heart. It's reaching the point of recognizing that you can't and you're willing to cry out for help. It's getting to the point of saying, I'm pinned down and there's no hope for me. I'm calling on God for help. And I'm asking Him for the ability to be able to change. And when you repent of your sin and you tell Him you're sorry and you're never going back to that life again, the Bible says He's faithful and just to forgive your sin. Any forgiven people in the house this morning? The second thing the Bible teaches us to do is to be baptized when they ask men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Peter standing up told them, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. He said nobody's left out of this baptism thing. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to take just about 30 seconds to explain baptism to you if I can. We have water here. We have robes in the back. You could change. You could come and be baptized this morning. And I want to explain to you, it's more than just public confession. Although it is, but it's more than that. But there is something that happens in the Spirit. When you make that decision, you repent of your sins. And when you go down in water baptism in the name of Jesus, you don't just go down dry and come up wet, but you go down dirty carrying the guilt of sin. But when you come up, the guilt of of sin is removed off of you therefore your sins are remitted that's what the scripture says your sins are remitted and then we have a promise a promise of the infilling of the Holy Spirit that promises to you to your children to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call and that allows us to be able to live in this sinful world but be able to live above sin by the help of God because we have an advocate that's fighting for us that's helping us he's counseling us he's being our mediator he's helping us through life if you don't know him this morning it's that simple you're going to have to make a decision to step from where you are heads are bowed eyes are closed where you are I'm praying for you right now that God would deal with your heart and spirit. Some have been waiting a long time to make this decision. Today would be a wonderful day for you to make this decision. God, I'm praying over this congregation right now. Lord, I pray that you would give courage to the one that, that lacks the courage to step out. Lord, that allows timidity or whatever it may be to hinder them from stepping forth. But God, I pray this morning that you break down every wall and give them, Lord, the courage to step out. For I understand you stand in the front of this room this morning with outstretched hands, bidding them to come unto you. And Lord, if they will come forward, we know that their sins will be forgiven. And know if they make a decision for baptism, Lord, that their sins will be remitted. And knowing, God, if they ask you, you will fill them with a the marvelous gift of the Holy Ghost. I pray right now, God, for that courage all over this room. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. 
in Jesus' name. Now, here's what I'm asking you to do without thinking twice. I'm going to open these altars, and this is for everybody. Man, woman, boy, or girl, visitor, saint, whomever you may be, step from where you are and make your way to the front of this room right now. Let's come with uplifted, outstretched hands calling on God today. Would you come with a repentant heart today? Would you come saying, God, I'm coming to you because, Lord, I need you to come on the scene. I'm pinned down by the cares of this world, but the preacher said, if I'll ask, you'll show up. If you'll just speak the name of Jesus today, he'll come to where you are. He'll come to your rescue. He'll come to your rescue. All over the room, hands lifted high. People are speaking and praying out loud this morning all over the room. Let God minister to you. Let God minister to you this morning.